Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the tech problem that's not a tech problem. The idea that, you know, we would um, go through a traditional acquisition process and timelines and and um, still try to deliver things in a uh, sort of legacy way. It just, it's not tenable. We need more flexibilities in terms of how we acquire technology. The Cyber EO was a turbocharge in more ways than one. Not only in really getting everybody to understand that this was the state of direction and that uh, you know we had made a decision about that, but also because of some of the potential uh, funding that came with that. And what does DISA need from the vendors it works with? We are working hard to be honest brokers for our mission owners, and we need industry to partner with us to be transparent and help us understand what capabilities are out there that might meet certain mission requirements. It's Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. New cyber requirements could come to Defense Department contracts next calendar year, according to the department's Director of Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Policy. Stacy Busjanic says her office is hoping to have an interim rule by next March. If that happens, Busjanic says the language could be in contracts and acquisitions by the following May. The Medicare.gov website has a makeover today. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services say the update will make it easier for its millions of users to compare and choose coverage and find providers. CMS says two of the highest profile sections on the site will get updates in the coming months, too. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Tomorrow is the deadline for getting votes in for the best bosses in federal IT. You can find a link to see the nominees and cast your last-minute votes in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The State Department lists edge computing as one of its highest priorities technologically. It has more than 200 outposts around the world. Brian Merrick is Director of Cloud Programs at the State Department. He tells my FedScoop colleague Billy Mitchell, cloud is his agency's Swiss Army knife for edge computing. It's really uh, just been crucial in using the right tool for the right job. As you can imagine, you know, we have uh, geez, um, hundreds, 275 posts overseas, over 110,000 users plus the interagency. Uh, so it's a very complex dynamic environment with multiple functions, uh, levels of security risk and whatnot that, that need to be addressed. And the only way to do that effectively at the enterprise level is really to provide uh, the right tools for the job. So we've, we've really latched onto the multi-cloud environments to do that. Uh, we have a series of different ones in the IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS flavors. Uh, we basically provide them through a shared responsibility model, which has been really successful for us. Um, what we do is integrate that with our, our, we call it SCI CAM, but our cloud-based uh, identity solution, uh, which makes it a seamless experience for the user in terms of accessing their, their environments. Uh, we provide the O&M on each of the platforms, uh, all the changes, we provide the basic control sets. It also allows our customers to, to really reduce what they need to do for their ATOs. They inherit all of our controls as common controls. Uh, in some cases, they can get to work uh, under our existing control set without having to have a separate ATO, which is pretty cool. Uh, and in addition, you know, we give them access to all of our enterprise license agreements. So really what we're doing is abstracting away a lot of the back-end infrastructure side of it and allow the business units we partner with to just get to work. That's great. And you mentioned a lot about security there. And I'd love to ask, how do you see public sector agencies taking more innovative approaches to cyber and data protection in 2022? 
Yeah, I think we're definitely moving away from the traditional sort of RMF compliance checklist based view. Um, it, it's really become so dynamic because when you think about it, as we move into the cloud, especially under the, the TIC 3.0 concept, we're really talking about defense in depth and we're, we're also, if you will, re replacing the traditional networks as, as we would think of it with a, a series of connections of data. And it really has become about protecting the assets and the data wherever they are. So we're, we're gonna have to get a lot more creative. We've already started thinking through a lot of this in our, our zero trust strategy, our new cloud strategy. Um, but it's a long road and there's a lot of improvements that need to happen across industry partners to help us. Also a lot of policy changes that will need to happen. But I think overall what we'll see is a more dynamic um, alignment between the IT side and the business side so that we can understand the true value of the data that we're protecting, what it has to connect to, um, how timely that connection needs to be, um, what level of security we need to put on that data uh, so that we can help our, our partners really meet their mission goals securely. And Brian, on the talent side, how do you see digital workforce enablement helping agencies improve how they attack and retain skilled employees? Yeah, talent capture and sustainment is probably one of the number one challenges, I'd say, in the tech community in general, and certainly in government, and, and of course in our agency. Uh, it's an ongoing challenge. So I, I think um, it's going to be a, a multifactored approach. I mean, certainly we need to look at uh, tech labor as a labor market. Uh, and really change the traditional government views towards attracting talent. We need to think about where we're recruiting talent. We need to think about the, the financial and the work-life incentives that we have to, to help retain that. So in, in our case, we have special incentive pay for our folks. Uh, we offer, also offer remote work and very flexible work schedules, which is critical, especially post-COVID. Um, but I think one of the number one things, especially the, the, the younger workforce is looking for, is a compelling mission. Um, you've got to be able to provide a compelling mission for folks that they can really feel passionate about, and that's going to attract your top talent. And, and then in fulfilling that mission, you've got to give them an agile environment and an agile uh, methodology space to work in so that they can actually bring their skills to bear on a problem quickly and directly. And I, I think when you combine all those different factors, um, and, and that's what we've been working through, and, and it's been very helpful for us, uh, but still it's, it's a constant challenge I think the government will continue to face for a while. You mentioned post-COVID, and I'd love to end our conversation there. Agencies had to move rapidly to acquire novel IT solutions during the pandemic. How do you see those efforts impacting longer-term acquisition reforms? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, acquisition processes really, really need to adjust. Um, it, I know it's a challenge for us, and I'm sure everyone. Um, it, part of the difficult piece we're running into is that um, overall, people have changed their expectations because of COVID. They, the, the blend between work and life is almost seamless now. So the idea that you know, we would um, go through a traditional acquisition process and timelines and, and um, still try to deliver things in a, a sort of legacy way, it just, it's not tenable. We need more flexibilities in terms of how we acquire technology, um, the time frames of how we do that, the way we, we fund it, the way we pay for it, um, the licensing models around it. Uh, we certainly on the industry side need help there too in terms of creating more stability in the license models um, and the costing so that we can predict better within our budget cycles and budget accordingly for those needs. Um, and I think over time if we can actually improve some of those underlying uh, concepts and processes and also really educate the acquisition workforce to be in better alignment with the way the technology is delivered 
it's going to be really helpful and a game changer. But we, we desperately need that. Ryan Merrick, Director of Cloud Programs at the State Department with my FedScoop colleague, Billy Mitchell. You can find a link to watch that entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Never trust, always verify is the essence of zero trust. If you want to secure your organization, you need to verify more than just users. You also need to secure devices. Tanium can help you gain clarity and control across all endpoints to secure your perimeter. Visit tanium.com federal to learn more. Identity management is one of the key elements of the zero-trust shift the federal government's undertaking, according to the Office of Management and Budget. Andre Mendez is the chief information officer at the Commerce Department. He tells my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash when he got to Commerce, different parts of the agency were in very different places on identity management. And so we, said, we put a sort of a stake in the ground that we were going to be using one of our bureau's solutions because of their scale and ability to handle uh, you know, the business for some other smaller bureaus uh, as our preferred solution for going forward. Of course, it's a federated system because some of the solutions in place are already quite robust. Um, but nevertheless, by leveraging NOAA's ICAM efforts, uh, we were able to make very substantial progress in a very short period of time. Uh, and we are moving very aggressively into uh, now uh, implementing single sign-on for a lot of applications based on that infrastructure, which is being very well received by the, the uh, employees, as you can imagine. Well, next, what challenges are you still facing trying to maintain a complete inventory of authorized devices, again, as sort of spelled out by the Zero Trust um, uh, executive order and so forth, and, and also ensure that the endpoint detection and response tools are properly deployed? Um, we, have been, we have been pretty good in that regard. Uh, our system uh, needed a few tweaks, but it has been very robust. We effectively have two different situations, one run by NIST, that runs the majority of the bureaus, uh, and then one run by NOAA, because they have some very specific requirements in terms of the geographic dispersion of their, um, of their installed base, and also some of the nature of their endpoints, such as sensors in buoys in the middle of the, of the ocean, stuff in satellites, um, uh, that, that don't lend themselves uh, as easily to that type of exercise. Uh, we're, we're in the process of also upgrading some of those legacy technologies so that the sensors that we deploy are capable of uh, you know, better interaction with uh, detection systems. And then how well equipped would you say um, the department is overall or some of the, most of the agencies in particular there at Commerce are, you know, compared to just a couple of years ago to identify and isolate uh, their IT environments in cases where they may have been compromised? Uh, I think we have been uh, very successful in introducing segmentation uh, of networks, uh, both uh, physical and, and virtual, uh, across, across the entire department. Some of the, uh, some of the uh, bureaus were already well advanced in that. Specifically, you know, the census, for example, had a very robust uh, infrastructure that was very well uh, segmented by virtue of all of the different uh, areas within the bureau that they have to handle and of course the the nature of the decennial that is you know so uh, you know dominating in terms of what the Census Bureau does 
Uh, and so I, th I think that we are in good shape. Uh, with some of the smaller bureaus, uh, the, the size of their network allowed for a, an easier deployment of that type of solutions. And also their migrations to the cloud that have accelerated over the last two years made that easier as well. And so I, th I think that we're in pretty decent shape. Uh, we, we, we are continuing to make progress, but uh, I'm satisfied that we are moving in the right direction. And then uh, lastly, Andre, looking ahead, how are OMB's zero trust policies altering your um, overall long-term IT investment strategy? What do, you, what do you think you'll be doing differently in the next couple of years? We were already moving towards a zero trust architecture, but the, the, um, that particular uh, memorandum really put some oomph behind our efforts. Uh, not only in really getting everybody to understand that this was the state of direction and that uh, you know, we had made a decision about that, but also because of some of the potential uh, funding that came with that, that was so necessary. Uh, a lot of efforts uh, that had not been yet taken uh, were not taken because of lack of funding. And so as that came to the table, it allows us to start accelerating that process. But again, getting everybody together and agreeing on a commonality of uh, architectures uh, and solutions, uh, I think has been extremely helpful because now we have a North Star through which uh, all of the bureaus can uh, orient themselves in terms of getting to a successful implementation of zero trust architecture, which of course is an evolving, never finished environment, but, uh, but that nevertheless will provide us uh, with, I think, a much better opportunity uh, for maintaining our integrity uh, across the department. The Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department, Andre Mendez, with my FedScoop colleague, Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch that entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Defense Information Systems Agency will run the Defense Department's huge joint warfighting cloud capability program, the department expects to make its award in December. Sharon Woods is executive director for the Cloud Computing Program Office at DISA. She tells my colleague Wyatt Cash, cloud computing isn't a one-size-fits-all model. If you think about the complexity of the Department of Defense's mission, the idea that everything needs to be in cloud or everything needs to be on-prem, it's a fallacy. Uh, and industry doesn't operate that way either. You have to understand the requirements of what you're trying to achieve. So if you think about being overseas and you think about needing to have you know, a level of resiliency, right? Because you never know what's going to happen. Having something within a DoD data center can be helpful, but you want to be able to use the power of commercial cloud. And so the idea is to get to a place where you can use both. So you can take advantage of what both have to offer and that you're able to meet the totality of your requirements, not just a subset. And then with agencies looking to do more with their data, especially in the cloud, how can they ensure that they're protecting it from the plethora of emerging threats? Sure, I think it's important to use some of the best practices and to be careful about trying to reinvent the wheel. So folks talk a lot about DevSecOps. I think that conversation has evolved over the last few years to where it's becoming easier 
for more and more mission owners to adopt it. So rather than trying to reinvent your own DevSecOps pipeline, at this point, the department has a number of options where there are DevSecOps pipelines in place that you can consume. And by doing that, right, it's the pipeline that is just the configuration control of sending your application through you know, a tunnel, it's maybe not quite that simple, but you're sending something through a tunnel in order to make the adjustments, the changes, the added, you know, additions, but then there are these security checkpoints and you make choices about how many, when you wanna, you know, require approval points to make sure it is secure before you go on. But by doing this, there's predictability, there's an understanding for authorization officials of what's going on. And because you can have a DevSecOps pipeline, uh, and there's there's options, right? So there, there again, there isn't a one size fits all, but now it's almost like global competition. You have this ability to really improve over time the pipeline, and so at the same time, you're improving the security of your application and data. And then next, what does the technician of the future look like for especially your organization? Yeah, so this is a really big one. And to me, this is foundational to everything else because it's the people that implement, uh, implement these things. Within the hack, we have roughly 2,000 people and a majority of them have operated on traditional data centers. And then we have a couple hundred that are operating in commercial cloud. And just like the technology where it is hybrid and it is a spectrum of hosting and compute, technician of the future, it's all about upskilling the workforce so that you know not just data center workforce is able to understand commercial cloud, but the reverse, that commercial cloud is able to understand data center. Now they may specialize in one area, but having that full context best positions us to deliver enterprise hybrid to the department. And then lastly, what should vendors know about working with DISA? So first I would say the, the hack, the hosting and compute center, we are working hard to be honest brokers for our mission owners. And we need industry to partner with us, to be transparent and help us understand what capabilities are out there that might meet certain mission requirements. And as much as industry should be recommending things to us, also need industry to tell us when something might not be the best match. But we don't have all the answers, and so the partnership part of this is, is really, really key. So we need industry to be transparent, and we are doing our best to be transparent as well. Sharon Woods, Executive Director of the Cloud Computing Program Office at the Defense Information Systems Agency, with my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch that entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast is back tomorrow afternoon with this week's Fed Scoop News Countdown. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>